How about that amazing New Hope worship team? Yeah. I found myself um, in the last couple weeks leading up to this, and staff will testify to this, and my wife as well, um, being more emotional about tonight than I thought I would because it's our last Christmas Eve in this building. And the reality is God's done amazing things through this church family inside this building. There's a lot of memories that pop to mind, like Christmas Eve without any electricity, for those of you that remember that. All right? There's stimulating things. There's amazing baptisms we've watched, people coming to Christ, marriages restored. And it's just fascinating to think of what God's done in the past. And yet we know He's going to do amazing things in the future, and He's preparing this great facility for us out on East Saginaw Highway. And I can't wait for New Hope to meet New Hope, right, for the whole church family to come together. But you and I are in this moment right now, this evening, this particular hour that God has brought us together, and I believe it's because He wants to speak to us. You may have felt like you've already connected, like, I I really got to worship in that. That's great. I want you to be able to worship through God's Word now, to be able to see God and maybe understand Him in a way that perhaps you haven't before, especially in Isaiah 9. So I'm going to ask you, would you pray with me about that? Let's pray together, church. We we will be the first to declare and we will say it loudly, Father, you are worthy and we don't hesitate to declare it. And you brought us together in this moment, in this hour, to understand better who we are in relation to you and what you expect of us, but also who you are to us. And I pray that you would especially make that clear as we understand this question about who Jesus really is. So, Father, as we examine this title, Prince of Peace, will you give us clarity? We we pray for that. I pray especially for people who may not know you yet, may not yet be in relationship, that you would reveal greater truth, and God, that you would draw them into relationship with you. I I know that to be true, that you would do that, because you did it in the previous services. So, God, I'm, I'm asking for that now. Begin preparing hearts. Shape our thinking, Father, and we ask for that because of the power of the Holy Spirit who illuminates your word. And we ask for that in the name of Jesus, who's worthy of all of our attention and all of our focus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, except for the burglar downstairs in the living room. He thought the family was asleep. He assumed that they'd all gone to bed. It's the deepest, darkest part of the night. The house is completely black. And the burglar is making his way through the living room to the tree where the family had stored all their gifts. And he began reaching over to grab one of the gifts to put it in his bag to haul away. And he heard, Jesus is watching you. Now that'll make a thief stop in his tracks. And he didn't know where the voice came from. And so he froze instantly and held that position for a really long time expecting to see blue lights flashing outside the windows at any moment, and yet nothing happened. And his heart is racing, sweating profusely. He can't explain where the voice came from. He didn't know what it was. He didn't want to get out his flashlight to give himself away. Yet he knew he heard something. 
After a long period of time, he decided, I'll just go back to what I was doing. He figured there was nothing coming. And so he began reaching for more of the gifts. And he heard, Jesus is watching you. And he froze again, and he held the position, and his heart is really racing. But this time he decided he would grab the flashlight that he had and begin shining around the room, and eventually the beam fell on a birdcage. And there was a parrot inside there. And he chuckled to himself and, and then began thinking out loud, like, huh, did he really say what I think he said? And he said to the parrot, what's your name? And the parrot said, Jesus is watching you. And he said, oh, is your name Jesus? What is your name? And he said, Moses. <laughs> and the guy's thinking to himself, Moses. And he said out loud, what kind of a family names their bird Moses? And the bird responds, the same family that would name their pit bull Jesus. <laughs> right? He knows when you've been good or bad. Reality is, most of us would not chase after contentment that way. We all want contentment. We all live in pursuit of a slice of peace. And we really, really like a silent night in our complex lives. It may be in this very moment you're thinking emotionally right now, wow, if I could just bottle the emotions of this moment, I'd be good. I'd be really content if I could just bottle this up in some way. Because all of us hope for some kind of a ceasefire in the pace of our life. Maybe thinking, it's just around the corner. Maybe if I just do this, it'll bring me peace. Tonight, you might be looking for peace in a relationship. Maybe peace in your finances. Perhaps peace from a doctor's report. Maybe you'd be happy just to be at peace with yourself. Some things have happened and you just can't get over that. Peace is incredibly elusive, both personally and globally. We watch it all the time in the news. And despite our unparalleled ability in all of human history to accumulate wealth and technology and information and knowledge about science, humanity remains plagued by this issue of conflict internally and externally. It's there. And the reality is we all know we can't fix it. It's gone on for thousands of years. And we don't know what the fix is. All the way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, if you're not familiar with the Bible, first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, God identifies why you are looking for a silent night, why I am looking for a silent night. God knows that this world that we're in is broken. And so he identifies in Genesis 3 while we're all hunting for it. See, Genesis 3 actually explains that there's been a rebellion against God. And yet God in Genesis 3 says, I'm going to fix this. There's been a rebellion on our part, but instead of bringing scourge against us, instead of bringing retribution, He graciously makes a promise. Genesis 3 shows that He's going to promise that there will be a rescuer coming one day who will restore everything and will reboot this planet globally and personally. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, this Prince of Peace. 
If you fast forward from Genesis to Isaiah, you find Isaiah picking up on this very detail. The prophet of God discovered and understood what God said in Genesis 3, and he begins giving details of what we should expect regarding God's promise. Let me just show you in, in big picture here. We've been looking at this for the last couple of weeks. Isaiah 9:6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Four spectacular titles of the One. The wonderful counselor who gives amazing wisdom. This one who we call Everlasting Father. This one whom we call Mighty God. The one who watches out for us and can open the scrolls. And then we come into the Prince of Peace. And I've been encouraging our church to read this personally. This child is born for me, this son who is given to me, as though God put a gift tag on the baby, and the string is attached to the foot, and it's been filled out to you. Because God said, this is personal. This is between you and me. This is what I've given to you. To really get the context of this and why this is so significant based on what might be going on in your life tonight, you need to understand why Isaiah wrote what he wrote It's 700 years before Jesus is born. And the Assyrian Empire is sweeping across the Middle East. And they have wiped out country after country after country. And they've met it to the Mediterranean coastline. And they're moving down through Israel. And they have Israel in their crosshairs. They've taken hundreds of thousands of people captive and thrown them into slavery. And those whom they have not enslaved, they have killed. King Ahaz, who is the king of Israel, is very aware of what's about to happen to his country. In Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9, Isaiah writes about what it's like in his land at that time. King Ahaz goes down into the tunnels underneath the city. It's a cavernous area where the water supply is at, and he goes there to inspect the fresh water system because the siege is almost upon them. It's in the midst of that time while he's walking through the caverns that Isaiah calls out to him. Isaiah appears out of nowhere and his voice echoes off the stone walls and he begins saying to the king, King, you need to know God is fully capable of carrying out all of his good promises. He knows exactly what's going on. And king, to remind you that God knows this, ask him for a sign and he'll give it to you. And the king says, no way, I'm not going to do that. I would not impose upon God to give me a sign. So in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah responds very well then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive, and she will bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. And then when you fast forward into chapter 9, you find him giving clarification to that. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So check this. I don't know what's going on in your life tonight. In the midst of trauma, in the midst of an invasion, there's God reminding those who belong to Him that there's a rescuer coming. There's one who's going to change everything. A light from God Himself, and the promise is clarified. Bear down with me on the last part of that verse in verse 6. And His name will be called Prince of Peace. It's not merely some title of an ancient individual. It's not merely the greeting on a greeting card. Not merely the lyrics to Handel's Messiah. This is a real person. This is what Jesus is for you. So you have to ask yourself, how do I understand this Prince of Peace? 
We live in the shadow of MSU, and there's a lot of scholarly people in this area. And so we could approach it intellectually. Say, oh, okay, I'll look at the definition. How do I understand Prince of Peace? And I'll, I'll go there with you. A, a Prince of Peace is a ruler who secures tranquility. And if you want the actual Hebrew terms for him, look with me on the screen. Sar, that's the first term that Isaiah used, and that's talking about the principal one, the chief one, the captain, the governor. In other words, the ones who's in control. And then he uses sar, and he attaches it to the Hebrew word shalom. I bet you've heard that word before. Shalom, but look at the definition that goes with it. To be well, to be happy, plus prosperity, plus rest, times perfect, times holy. So you put sar, shalom together, and what do you get? You get the Lord who is the keeper of perfect prosperity. I take some of that, right? Who wouldn't sign up for that tonight? That, that's who he is? He's the keeper of that? See, in our world, this is the difficulty, in our world that's filled with anything but peace, you can easily see how people can be confused about this Prince of Peace thing. It's like, well, the Bible says he's Prince of Peace. That didn't work out so well, did it? Like, look at the turmoil in this world. He's supposed to be bringing peace? Where's the peace? There's no peace. There's a lot of discord. Why so much turmoil then? Well, here's the problem. Our definition of peace is not the definition of peace that Jesus uses. Look with me on the screen, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. It's not the world's definition of peace. So in the language of the Bible, New Testament especially, when it uses the word peace, it's talking about unity or accord, and each of those match up to oneness. Put unity and accord together. You've got an agreement there, and you've got oneness, not merely an absence of conflict. So just reason this through with me. Our world defines peace as the absence of conflict. So ask yourself this. Is it really peace when you get two armies who've been fighting with each other to lay down their weapons? Is that really peace? Or is that just an agreement not to kill each other? That's a temporary stay. Now, we certainly call it that. We call that peace, and that's preferred over conflict. But that's not really peace. That's just an agreement to hold off. That's why what we call peace on this planet, among the nations, it never lasts. Because it's not really peace, it's only an agreement to cease fire while they're reloading. Just hold off and let me get my newest weapon out. See, if you merely agree not to fight, it's not real peace. And I bet you've seen this in your own personal life, especially in relationships that you might be in. If two people who haven't spoken to each other for a long time just to agree maybe to begin talking to each other, that's not really peace. Invariably, there's going to be a new outbreak and all the animosity surges to the surface. And once again, there's a war. You know this, though. This is not unfamiliar to you. The problem with humanity is this. We want to start by cleaning up all the shrapnel. We want to start by repairing all the conflict. We want to deal with the fallout of it. God never starts there. As you look at God in the Bible, He actually starts with the person. And he says, peace is a person. So for you to live at peace, you personally have to be in this place of peace yourself. You've got to deal with this issue. 
And if you have internal peace, then you can deal with all the conflict and all the chaos around you. But until you personally get to that place where you've got peace, you can't deal with the conflict. See, the meaning of the type of peace that Jesus is prince over, the Sar Shalom, I want you to see this on the screen because this is the way the Bible really defines it, is the harmony brought about by restoration to God. If you agree with that, say amen. That's the kind of peace Jesus speaks of. The harmony by being in unity between God and man. In other words, God imparting His ways to man to such a degree that man alters his behavior. That's the kind of unity we're talking about. So it might surprise you if you're new to church to hear that you need restoration to God. If you're not typically in a setting like this, maybe you only come on major holidays, it might really surprise you to discover that you need restoration. But that's what the Bible declares. You've got to have that in order to have the peace of God. And when you've got that in place, you can begin moving forward. The Bible is very clear that we're actually in a position of enmity with God if we're not in a relationship with Him. Now, I want you to hear what the word enmity means. When you think of enmity, you think of enemy, and that would be accurate. Because the Bible says before we're actually in relationship with God, we're hostile towards Him. Watch with me. Here's an example from Romans, Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Stop right there. What Paul's writing about is past tense. He's saying, you believers, if you're a believer in Jesus, you were. There's a period of time when you were an enemy of God, but you're not anymore. You're no longer hostile to Him. But that means those who are not yet in a relationship with Him through Jesus, they're still in a non-reconciled condition. And in that condition, we're the enemies of God. Why? Why is that true? I don't feel like I'm an enemy, people are going to say. Because of the rebellion. Because of the rebellion back in chapter 3 of Genesis. And everything fell apart then because of the rebellion against God. That's why things are broken. You wonder why there's sickness in this world? Why is there disease? Why is there suffering? Genesis chapter 3. It's the rebellion and therefore the curse comes upon this planet because we've all sinned now. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If that's true, if everything I just laid out for you is completely true and you can Take it to the bank, if you will. If that's all true, doesn't it sound like we need a prince to ride in and carry out a rescue? Like maybe a prince who's the captain over everything could change this? Peace is elusive because humanity doesn't understand where the conflict originates from. So the failure to find peace on a global scale between nations, it's not because we have bad negotiators. And a failure to find peace on a personal level, it's not because you get the wrong toys tomorrow morning when you open up gifts. That, that doesn't do it. The failure begins with not being in a relationship with God who says, I am the Prince of Peace. I am the one who can bring it. So if you've been in this for the last three weeks and you've been studying Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, hear this. He cannot be wonderful counselor to you. He cannot be mighty God to you. He cannot be everlasting father to you unless he is first the prince of peace in your life. Do you agree with that, church? I hope you do. I hope you share that news with the people who are in your life that might be looking for peace. 
like trying to figure out why are things so messed up. Tell them this truth. It's got to begin with the restoration. So if you're ready for some Christmas stuff, and I bet you are, behold, I have great news for you. I, I, I think that probably some people came in here and were very surprised over the three services, like, whoa, this is heavy stuff. Yep, it's not all about the baby in the manger. But behold, I have good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, Charlie Brown. This one, Romans 5.8 says, He demonstrated His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How good is our God? He's that good. Now, maybe you're thinking, Mark, come on, this is Christmas. Do we really have to talk about Jesus dying? I thought that was like Easter stuff. Okay, I'll give you that. The baby born then, the baby born of a teenage virgin girl in the Middle East who's lying in a manger in your mind, that's God the Son who put on flesh. That one became Jesus the man who kicked down the barriers and restored the relationship back to God. That's who he is. And because of Jesus, we can be restored to a relationship back to peace with God. And I can say this, you can be. It doesn't mean you automatically are. In order to have the peace of God, you've got to receive it. It doesn't just automatically blanket everybody in creation. You've got to receive what Jesus has offered. Watch how that happens, Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen, church? Therefore, having been justified by what? By faith. That's right. Faith is believing what God has revealed. You want a simple definition? That's it. Faith is believing what God has revealed. What did He reveal about Jesus? What are you going to do with Him? What do you believe about who Jesus is? And I know I speak to many believers in the auditorium tonight, so hear me out on this. You need to be reminded of this as well. This deep abiding peace that we're talking about between our hearts and our Creator, it cannot be taken away. It's a peace that passes understanding. Look what Jesus said Himself, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. I love this part. And they will never perish and no one's going to take them from me. That's your God. See, that's the kind of relationship that's going to let you sleep well at night. Even when you don't necessarily sleep so well. You're not going to stay up wondering about your eternal destiny because Jesus said, I got you. Ultimately, yep, he's going to bring an eternal reign of peace on this planet, and it will have no end because he has no end. That's why he's called the Everlasting Father. Ultimately, he's going to bring the nations together, and he will establish peace. But right now, here in the present, tonight, December 24th, 2018, he came for you. It's for you, for peace in your heart, the peace that passes all understanding right here in the present. Jesus said it this way, John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I know some of you are just dying to say amen to that one, right? 
Let's sum up what we just talked about in these 15 minutes. Peace is unity with God. You can't get there on your own. It's not possible. You certainly cannot buy it, and you cannot earn it. Scripture promises that, although people constantly try to make themselves likable to God. It is the gift of God, lest any one of us would boast. And it's given to you, not because of anything you did, but because of what He did. So it begins by recognizing you can't get there without coming to Him. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If there's a person in this room tonight who's not yet a believer, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. You do it right in the quietness of your seat. You don't even have to blink. Simply admit to God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And I know New Hope Church will say amen to this. When you tell God you're a sinner in need of a Savior, He won't be surprised by that. He knows everything. He knows all about you. So what you're asking for is you're asking God for forgiveness of your sin and restoration to God, the unity. You need it back. That's hard because it requires a humbling of yourself. Logically, somebody's going to be thinking right now, how could I do that, Mark? How can I ask to be forgiven? I am so messed up, you have no idea. Well, that's possibly what individuals think, and and many people go there, and and what you're thinking is, I'm not good enough. Hear this very clearly. You're right. You're not. But He is. Right? Jesus is. It's not about what you've done. It's about what He's done. You think you can out God's grace? You've got another thing coming to you. You cannot out the grace of God. His grace is greater than all your sin. Whatever you did yesterday, whatever you do tomorrow, whatever you might have done today. So that first step of getting that peace with God is to tell God, you know you can't do this on your own. And along with that line, somebody's going to be thinking, it can't be that easy. It cannot be that simple. You're right on that. It's, it's not that simple. God's complexities boggle the mind. What we're talking about here, what we're relaying, is that it's simply received. God knows all about your breakups. He knows all about the betrayals. He knows all about the failures. Jesus is watching you, right? He sees it all. So picture this. Maybe in this moment, you've just asked Jesus to come into your heart. This one who is called the mighty God. No one would have imagined it happening this way, that the mighty God would be in a bed of straw making baby noises. And somebody had to feed him. And there's absolutely no deception whatsoever in this. God cannot lie. And he puts on skin, yet he's still fully God. And he shows him even to this very day to be a wonderful counselor. Mighty God, wonderful counselor. And because he's got you, he protects you through all eternity. So now you can call him your everlasting father. God, I need you through eternity. I need you to be a daddy to me. So you've discovered him intimately tonight. 
Not only as the wonderful counselor, not only as the mighty God, not only as the everlasting Father, but as the Prince of Peace. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he died for you. But praise God, he rose again. Right? So we don't despair as those who have no hope. I want to pray right now, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you happen to ask Jesus to be your Savior tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something. So I'm going to invite the entire auditorium. Will you close your eyes where you're at? Every one of us, close your eyes. And if you ask Jesus to be your Savior tonight, would you just slide your hand up so I can see it? No one else is going to know. Just put it up there so I can see it. Thank you for doing that. I want to pray for you. Church, let's pray together. Father, you are faithful to your word that where your gospel is declared, you draw people into relationship with you. And there are people that came into this auditorium tonight that had no expectation that they were going to encounter you in this way. And yet your Holy Spirit does exactly that. We praise you, first of all, for these individuals who have been brave enough to raise their hand and say, I did that, that's me. Will you pray for me? But also, Father, I recognize those individuals who couldn't even get their hand up. They just feel so broken by this moment. God, in both cases, I ask that you would surround these individuals with the power of your Holy Spirit right now. We're told that in the moment that we profess you as Savior, that your Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Let them feel the presence of your Spirit, God. Open their eyes and illuminate their mind to understand your words so that they might go grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Father, I pray for every one of us, whether new believer or believer or those who are not yet there, God, that we would recognize as we take on that day tomorrow, Christmas Day, that we celebrate you because you are worthy. Remind us it's not about the toys. It's about the peace, the peace that you bring us because you are the Prince of Peace. We praise you for the reality of that. In the name of the one who brought it, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. And just before Michael gives instructions on Silent Night, could I ask you to do one thing? Um, when you leave tonight, out in the atrium, you'll find a table, and there's Bibles on that table. And inside those Bibles are a note that I wrote to you. If you don't own a Bible... Or if you receive Jesus as your Savior tonight, grab one of those on your way out. The, the note simply says next steps on it. And you'll know what to do as you read it. It'll tell you about your walk with Christ and what you have entered into. And we really encourage you to pick one up on your way out the door. There's some that are gift wrapped. There's some that are plain. You take whichever one you want. Now Michael's going to lead us now along with the worship team in Silent Night.